So glad you guys have chosen to join us this morning. My name's Dustin, if we haven't met yet, one of the pastors here along with Adam. And man, what a joy it is to be able to worship the Lord in song and uh, be able to spend some time in his word. Kids, you can head downstairs. Uh, we got nursery in the back for zero to three, uh, zero to three, and then uh, four through uh, year four years old through fifth grade downstairs for kids ministry. So kids, you can head that way. It's a good time to uh, thank our kids ministry workers. Uh, glad you guys uh, serve in the ways that you do. Uh, what a blessing uh, to have workers that uh, work week after week. If um, it's worth saying, if you want to be on the schedule for that, uh, we can put you in about uh, once a month downstairs, uh, pointing our kids to Christ. During this time, uh, we haven't said this in a while, but it's not some kind of uh, babysitting time down there. We spend time pointing our kids to uh, their great need for a Savior uh, who is found in Jesus. And how awesome that is. Um, go ahead and grab some scripture, uh, hard copy or uh, on your phone. You can scan uh, the QR code in the Bible app if you want to use your phone. If you want to use a hard copy, there's one under the chair around you. We're in our series on the letters of John, and as we've described, John has a pattern he tends to circle back around on uh, over and over again, a pattern really of three, foundational doctrine, obedient living, and impassioned encouragement. Last week's passage was more on the foundational doctrine side. Uh, that was the pattern John was setting up really from the beginning, this pattern of going back to foundational doctrine. And this week, John will go full check one. Check one. Oh, I lost it. All good? Sweet. We'll see. <laughs> so uh, we'll go back to what we learned last week and review just for a little bit before we jump into the obedient living section Today, So if you weren't here last week, here's a little bit of recap of where we were and what we studied. Uh, John started with this statement. He said, God is, it starts with an L, God is what? Light, right? God is light. And then the passage that we read said, in him, there is no what? Darkness. God is light. In him, there is no darkness. And then the very next breath, we said, that's not us, right? In and of ourselves, that's not who we are. None of us in and of ourselves can walk in here today and go, hey, I'm all light, 100% light, no darkness in me at all. Again, in and of ourselves, through Christ, yes, but in and of ourselves, we got nothing, right? In and of ourselves, we can't say that. And so then we start processing what the scriptures were saying. Well, if God is light, in him there is no darkness, and I'm not like that. We begin to ask, so what does it look like for us to walk in his light? If you remember, uh, we had the lantern uh, last week, and uh, the lantern was uh, lit up. It's not lit up this week, but we had the lantern, and we were processing, what does it look like to walk in his light? Now, what does it look like to have uh, a, a lantern where we're walking in kind of his orb of light? And I'll leave this up here for a visual. I'm not going to light it this week. Last week, I had it lit. And uh, I had it behind the stage and was making this noise like that a gas lantern makes. And someone uh, that I pulled it out from behind there, like, I knew I heard a propane lantern go in because you can kind of hear the 
were, and nothing burned down, so we're good. But here's, here's what we said, what we reflected on in the scriptures of what it looks like for us to walk in his light. Number one, those in the light recognize their need for a savior. If you're wondering what it looks like to walk in the light. Am I there? Okay, good. So what does it look like to walk in the light? Number one, those who walk in the light recognize their need for a savior. Number two, if you're wondering, what does it look like to walk in the light? What's John talking about walking in the light? Number two, those in the light confess their sins to him. Those in the light confess their sins to him. To be in the light doesn't mean you're sinless. That means you know what to do with your sin. Those in the light confess their sins to him and experience cleansing. Number three, those in the light have an advocate or a helper in Christ and their sins have been atoned for. Propitiation was the word we talked about from the scriptures, right? Propitiation. That's what it looks like to walk in the light. And now based on that foundational doctrine that we looked at last week, John will continue to lay out what it looks like to be in the light, to know Christ. And he'll lay out some additional evidence that should be there for one belonging to Christ, one who is in Christ. What's the evidence of someone who is actually in the light? Besides the three things we just laid out, he starts to go into it a little more. What's the evidence of a life in Christ? So 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. Go ahead and get there in your scriptures if you're not already. And I want you to take a second um, and read this with somebody around you out loud, uh, with someone you came with, or if you're by yourself, just turn to someone else next to you. And I want you to read this. Someone uh, will read it out loud in your kind of group of two or three or four people. And um, see, what, see what evidence there might be there for someone who is in the light, someone who is in Christ. First uh, John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. Ready, go. weekend studying as I looked at this and considered this and prayed through this uh, first thing we're going to walk down through these verses that you just read and then continue on eventually through verse 11 this morning but right off the bat verse 3 that you read and by this we know that we have come to know him if we what keep his commandments and initially that can be kind of uh, like, wow, okay, so I have to keep his commands perfectly? Is that really what we're talking about here? That I should keep his commands perfectly? Interesting here, definition of keep, as I studied and consulted people who are much smarter than me, understood that the word keep there for keep commands 
can mean to obey. That's one of the references and one of the meanings for in the original language there, keep. It can mean to obey. Man, let's get back. I'm going to go to my mind. Awkward moment there. Okay, now here we are. We're back. Everybody good? Okay. All right. So definition of keep. One of the de- one of the definitions definitely is along the lines of obeying. But another definition of keep for the word that's right there in the original language can also mean to guard as precious, to keep, to guard as precious. And all of a sudden, started to make a little more sense to me as I walked down through that passage. To keep God's commands, to guard as precious. This is the definition I lean toward considering the context. Because if you read this and think that John means that to live in the light as he is in the light, you have to perfectly obey him and and have no sin whatsoever, that doesn't make sense, right? He's already covered that. He's already said that's not what it means to live in the light because he wouldn't talk about Sin, right? If that was the case, if you were just supposed to live in perfection. John Calvin says this about this passage. He says, because no one is perfectly obedient, he does not mean that those who wholly satisfy the law keep his commandments, as no instance of that can be found in the world, but those who strive to form their life in obedience to God. Those who strive to form their life in obedience to God. That's the evidence that someone is in Christ. But notice, this is evidence that someone is in Christ. It's not the way you get to Christ. It's the evidence that someone is in Christ. See, he didn't say, this is how someone gets God's love. In other words, John didn't say, if you want to be a Christian... We'll just live a life of obedience and maybe you'll make it someday. He's simply saying one of the pieces of evidence of being in Christ, of knowing Christ, is that we'll have a high view of the commands. We'll guard or hold God's commands as precious. That's a pretty awesome picture. Keeping his commands is the evidence of being a believer. Keeping his commands is not how you become a Christian. And I just thought this morning as I was going back through the notes, what's a good visual for that? How can I visually kind of picture what we're talking about here as obeying his commands as evidence that we've come to know Christ? And I just thought, okay, what if I told you guys this morning that I was a police officer? Well, for one, I think you would go, well, I didn't know that. And then you begin to process, well, I wonder if there's any evidence that supports that. And then maybe I knew, maybe I knew that was a sham. I'm not really a police officer, but I thought, well, I need to accumulate some evidence that would point to maybe the fact that I am. And so I go find a police officer's uniform. I pick up a badge and beside that again, really bad idea. Just follow the analogy here. Then I would begin to accumulate. Now in my analogy this morning, I was like, yeah, I'll buy a a used police car, like that's even worse. <laughs> but as much as I would try to accumulate the evidence, that wouldn't make me a police officer, right? 
That's not what this passage is about. You're either a police officer or not. And then, then you look for the evidence that would support that. And so what's one of the evidences of being a believer, of being in Christ? It's that you strive toward obedience. It's that you hold or guard God's commands as precious. And then we have this word at the end, uh, what you just read there at the end of verse 6. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Walk in the same way that Jesus walked. Do the things that he did. This is not a new concept of following Jesus' example. But some of us with certain church baggage may bristle a little bit at just viewing Jesus as an example to follow. We've talked about that here regularly. That while the scriptures point to that, it's Jesus is not just an example to follow. He's so much more, of course. And maybe you bristle at the idea of following Jesus because at some point you were taught that that's why Jesus came, just to show us how to live a good life. Just was a good example for us to follow, a moral teacher. And maybe God the Father would be happy if we could just follow Jesus good enough. We just follow Jesus well enough. Maybe it'll be enough to get into heaven one day. Just to be clear, that's not what we believe the Bible teaches, and Lord willing, you'll never hear that message here. But there's something to be said about grace-driven obedience, grace-driven following. Grace-driven followers of Christ. Here's some examples. They'll be on the screen. You don't need to look them up. Examples from Scripture of us being encouraged to follow. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. This idea that he is imitating Christ. He is following Christ and offering the same for us. Ephesians chapter 1, I mean, chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says, very specifically, be imitators of of Christ. Be a follower of Christ. Do what Christ did. First Peter chapter 2, verse 21. Peter says straight up, follow in his steps, in Jesus' steps. Follow in his steps. And so while that's not a way to get to God's love, it's the evidence. It's a reflection of someone who knows him. Let's continue. John will shed some more light on what it looks like to be in Christ. What's more evidence of someone belonging to Christ being in the light? Well, just to spoil it a bit, one commentator says this, the world of light, which is what we've been talking about, light and love always go together. Let's look at verses 7 and 8 in First John chapter 2. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment. That you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. And the first few times I read that, my brain was blowing up and I was like, okay, which one is it, John? Is it a, an old commandment? Because it's like, a, this is an old commandment, it's not a new commandment. And this is a new commandment. Well, okay. John, is it an old one or a new one? Well, it's both. It's old 
as in it's from Moses, and it's also new as in it's from Jesus. Turn to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 13. Jesus is going to lay out what was an old commandment from Moses, but now a new commandment, being that it's coming from him. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And then, this is a beautiful link to where we just were in 1 John, because Jesus is going to say, this is the evidence. Verse 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. What's the evidence of one being in Christ? Abiding in Christ, being in the light, love for each other. Let's see it laid out a little further here in 1 John. Go back there, 1 John chapter 2, and then we'll finish out this section of Scripture. Verse 9, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness, and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. What's the evidence of someone walking in the light? What's the evidence of someone being in Christ? It's love. It's love for others. The opposite of hate. There's an interesting story from a historian outside of the canon of Scripture. It talks about John when he was older, which is likely pretty close to when he wrote, not the Gospel of John, but 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And tradition says that he had gotten to the point where he couldn't walk anymore. And he would go visit these churches that were meeting. And to go there, they would have to carry him on a pallet. He couldn't walk. And so you can imagine several guys carrying this old guy, John, on a pallet. Maybe each of them kind of has a corner, maybe three or four guys, probably more than two. I'm just trying to picture this in my head. And they're carrying him to this church gathering. They don't carry him and put him in a car, of course. They're walking wherever they're going, right? They're carrying him on this pallet. And maybe they carried him 20 or 30 minutes. We don't really know. But they carry him to this church gathering. And this story goes as such that they sit down John's pallet in the middle of this church gathering. And John, this one who knew Jesus and spent time with Jesus, they're just pumped to hear him speak, right? And John begins to speak. And it doesn't last very long. Because John's sermon is three words. Love one another. And then the tradition says that that's all he had to say. That, that's literally all he said. I don't, we don't know if he prayed after that or, or if he dismissed things. And the tradition says that there were some followers of Christ that asked him afterward, John, why was your sermon so short? Can I just get the picture? Maybe it's the guys that carried him there on the pallet, 20 minutes. They sit him down, and he, his sermon is three words. When they ask him, why was your sermon so short? Why was it just three words? Well, his response to that was four words. Because it is enough. It's recorded of what he said. 
And you begin to get the picture of how important this evidence of love is to John when it comes to the fruit of someone knowing Christ. Let's dig in a bit further on what it looks like to love according to John here. Because we can begin to get this idea that, well, so, I, so in order to know Christ, then I have to always love 100% of the time and, and never have any kind of disdain for anyone. And again, that would be John pointing to perfection. Hey, you want to know Christ? We'll be perfect. That's it. That's all. That's what your life should look like. If you're not perfect, then you're in the dark and you don't know Christ. That can't be what he's talking about because of how he talks about confession of, of sin. And we already, he already said last week, if anyone claims to have no sin, that person's a liar. So here's what I think John means here. The evidence of one who is in Christ, who belongs to Christ, is one whose life is characterized as loving others. One whose life is characterized as loving others. And so I ask when people see you out in town, when they see you at Safeway, when they see you out at Wendy's or wherever it is that you are, post office, do they see you as a loving person? Not one who's, who always loves perfectly all the time, but do you hold precious the importance of, of loving others, the ones he puts in your path? Maybe the answer is yes, maybe it's no, maybe it's, and I'm not sure. If you're asking, well, am I characterized as one who loves others? As an evidence that I know Christ. So the obvious next question is what do we do when we're confronted with the reality as believers that we still have a lot of work to do when it comes to loving others? Because I think that's where we come to, right? Because probably few of us hear this passage and hear what John says and go, why don't you give me something challenging, John, because I already love everybody perfectly in my life. Probably most all of us confronted with that, well, what do I do when I'm confronted with the fact that there's some gaps in how I love others? We still have to look at the overall context of the letter, right? I think we look at the broader context. What has John already laid out for us for people who are in the light? What do they do? Well, they confess their sin and shortcomings and they experience his forgiveness, they receive help from their advocate, right? They ask him for help. They strive to walk in the light. Turn to John 15. Back in John's Gospel. I love that we can bounce back and forth from the Gospel of John to his letters and see so much connection between what he wrote down in his Gospel and what's in 1 John. And this is all in the context of, well, what do we do when we find this gap between what the evidence should look like for someone who follows Christ and the reality of my life, especially as it pertains to loving others? Look at John 15, verse 5, and then we'll jump over to verses 8 and 9. This is what Jesus says. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides 
in me, and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. And then look at verse 8 and 9. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Abide in my love. You want to produce fruit? You want fruit to be in your life? You want to love others well? You want to be characterized as one who loves others? Then abide in Christ. We've talked about this before. It's kind of a confusing statement. When we talk about well, the next question, what does it mean to abide in Christ? What does that even mean? What does it look like? The word abide means to make your residence in, to live in. It's where the word we use for, uh, we don't use it much anymore, but when we talk about our house, our abode, our humble abode, it comes from the word abide. It's where we live. It's where we take up residence. And so to abide in Christ means to make your home in his love and his presence. And all of a sudden, that makes more sense to me than what I look at this phrase, abide in Christ. I'm like, what does that mean, to make my home in his love and in his presence? Because in his love and in his presence, that's where fruit is born. That's where the ability comes to be able to love people well. From that place, you'll begin to grow in your ability to love, and maybe better said, you'll grow in the ability of allowing Christ to love others through you, right? And then you get down to the gospel where we go every week, right? And you understand that in our shortcomings of love, where we, as believers, struggle to love well, that at the end of the day, we're not left with, well, you better get things better when it comes to loving people before Christ returns or else we understand that Christ lived a perfectly loving life, right? He didn't just hold the commands of God dear and precious to him. He didn't just have a life characterized by love, but he loved perfectly and then he gave us his perfect record. And so that's where I want to leave us and maybe rest on these truths here. That while we were still sinners, while we still failed at loving people well, Christ died for us. His body broke and His blood shed to pay the sin debt that we owed. Then He rose from the dead and now lives and loves through us because of the resurrection as we abide in Him. So God be the glory for that. Let's go ahead and pray. Not sure how the Lord may be speaking to you through His Word. I want to give us a few moments just to process and reflect on the truths that we've looked at here in the Word. The evidences of someone knowing Christ.
see his life, his work, is a firm foundation. And it's by that that he builds us into who we are. It's on that foundation of who he is and what he's done for us. And on that foundation of Christ, that's where our house is built. Where we abide, right? We abide in his love with the foundation being who he is and what he's done. I just get this picture of, of hospitality where we are abiding in Christ, making our home in his love and in his life. And then the picture is beautiful that we begin to have people over into our home, so to speak. And when they enter into where we're abiding, they sense his great love for us and for them as well. May our home be in him and in his light. May that be where we abide. And through our abiding in him, others begin to sense his love in us. Jesus living his life through us, loving others through us. What a beautiful picture. to take communion together as we do most weeks. May the truths of what we've looked at today fall fresh on you. The significance and the beauty of his body broken as bloodshed for you. For the forgiveness of your sins. If you confess your sins, it's faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness powerful his shed blood is. As we celebrate and remember his death, in the same breath we're celebrating his resurrection, Jesus living and loving others through us. So take a few moments just in silence, reflect on the beauty of this sacrifice for you.